Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. In my state of Louisiana, fentanyl is the leading cause of death for Americans age 18 to 49 in this country. Fentanyl poisoning because it's allowed over the border. We have human trafficking and all the other terrible things. In the last three months, October, November, December alone, we've had more illegal crossings at the border than in any entire year during the Obama administration. The American people see this. They feel it acutely. They see all the terrible societal ills that come from this, and it must be addressed. So I've made this very clear, again, from the very beginning, when I it was handed the gavel, we needed clarity on what we're doing in Ukraine and how we'll have proper oversight of the spending of precious taxpayer dollars of the American citizens. And we needed a transformative change at the border. Thus far, we've gotten neither. Uh, the Senate has been MIA on this. The House passed H.R. 2 six months ago, more than six months ago. It's been sitting and collecting dust on Chuck Schumer's desk. I have told him personally, I've told the National Security Advisor, the Secretary of State, the Secretary of Defense, that these are our conditions because these are the conditions of the American people. And we are resolute on that. It is not the House's issue right now. The issue is with the White House and the Senate. And I implore them to do their job because the time is urgent and we do want to do the right thing here. With that, I'll... I'll he walks away off into the sunset on his steed, goes Speaker Johnson. But he's making the argument that a lot of people want to make. You can't just have unlimited funds for Ukraine. And how is there a conversation regarding Ukraine without a conversation for the border? Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. 833-GOT-TONY. 833-468-8669. Now, some people may not want a mixing of the southern border and Ukraine. And certainly, uh, people like uh, Senator Chris Murphy... They have gotten themselves uh, in a, in, a, in a bit of a of a lather on this subject. That somehow everything those uh, wastly Republicans want is just downright dangerous. I don't, because it's fairly normal for there to be these emergency spending bills before Congress when we have insufficient funds for um, the operation of the border or for our foreign policy objectives. It's very different to say, on top of that funding, we are going to make major changes in law. And that's what Republicans are asking for. They are asking for very severe, very draconian immigration policy changes. What's draconian? What does that even mean? We know who's coming into the country. We say no to some people who are bad guys coming into the country. We want to stop fentanyl. What's draconian? What is, why is that your word choice? You mean having a border at all is draconian? By the way, definition, exceedingly harsh, very severe. What, what are you opposed to, Senator Murphy? By the way, there is no greater beta male in all of the Senate than Senator Murphy. That's saying a lot because Richard Blumenthal is also in the Senate. Uh, that's a guy who lied about his Vietnam service. What's draconian? An actual implementation of policy that allows us a better tomorrow? 
that we have policy that states that single adult males don't just enter the country, that protects children who are being trafficked to the country, that protects those who live in the United States in these border towns and beyond, that doesn't waste money on policies that don't work, but rather engages in the investment in technology that does? Draconian, my butt! The only thing draconian, exceedingly harsh or very severe, is how people are being treated right now. All those citizens in those border towns, all those American citizens, how Border Patrol is being treated by not giving them the tools to do the damn job. You've got them engaged in so many humanitarian efforts. You don't have them engaged in actually stopping people. This is an unserious response from Chris Murphy. Your problem is they're going to tie Ukrainian funding with the border. Well, that's the problem that Vladimir Zelensky has. He's in the United States. And man, I'm telling you, he's, he's hitting again all the wrong notes. Let me be frank with you, France. If there's anyone inspired by unresolved issues on capital hill is just putin and his sick clique they see the dreams come through when they see the the delays or some scandals and they see freedom to fall when the support of freedom fighters go down this isn't a conversation of support of freedom fighters this is a conversation of what kind of money we're talking about if there's anyone inspired by unresolved issues on Capitol Hill, it's just Putin and his sick click. We're not interested in paying for your retirement fund. I think we should pay for bullets and tanks. I know some people disagree with me. That's okay. We should pay for bullets and tanks. We're better off if we pay for bullets and tanks. I believe this. I can defend this. Retirement funds and and being uh, having unaccountable dollars no transparency in how things are being spent? Well, that's a real problem for Americans. And you come to the United States and say that somehow because wanting to ensure that is support of, of Putin? That's, that is not a winning message. That doesn't work. That doesn't get people on your side. It doesn't get people to come your way. It's a radical position but it's backed up and buoyed by Senator Chuck Schumer. If Republicans keep insisting on Donald Trump's border policies, then they will be at fault when a deal for Ukraine, Israel, and humanitarian aid to Gaza all fall apart. Republicans would be giving Vladimir Putin the best gift he could ask for. Democrats are serious about reaching reasonable bipartisan compromise to pass this package. The question is if Republicans are now willing to do the same. You're a twisted, twisted man. Now, Murphy said draconian and you said Trump. So is that it? You just don't want a Trump policy because after three years of utter failure, you don't want Americans to see that the Trump policies actually worked. That remain in Mexico was a worthwhile policy. That walls work. They work. Border Patrol says they work. The people who live in these border towns say they work. 
They don't stop people. They slow them down so they can be apprehended. How do you stop people when you've got the Biden administration so desperately welcoming them in? And that is happening. So just for the sake of clarity, there is no policy that we issue out, that we put forward, that says it ain't worth coming. You have single male Chinese nationals coming into the country. And we let them in. Are we nuts? That should be an immediate deportation. Immediately on a plane and flown back. Under escort of a couple of F-35s landing, dropping them off and then taking off again. Let China figure out what to do. You just want to go to a more friendly country and walk them to the gate? Sure. You want to fly them to Japan and then just put them on a, on a, on a boat? All right, look, we, we can do it a, a multiplicity of ways, but they can't stay. And anybody who thinks that single men can stay are nuts, whether they're from China or whether they're from Nicaragua. Single adult men cannot stay. That's insane. Go back and fight for your country. That has to be a standard. But never mind, that is just one of many, many policies. Schumer doesn't want Trump policies being moved forward. Who's being political if you're the one bringing up Trump? You unserious child. Speaker Johnson is clear. Funding for Ukraine goes along with funding for the border. Joe Biden wanted $105 billion for a series of things. $60 billion for Ukraine, $14 billion for Israel, and I think it was $14 billion for the border. That's right, $60 billion for Ukraine, $14 billion for the border. We can discuss that part of it later. If you want the dollars, you have to accept the fact that you don't control the House. Republicans are to blame. We all lose. The deal's in front of you. Now you, Chuck Schumer, have got to be a good American and just deal with it. What is this idea? That Republicans have to acquiesce on every damn thing in order to be seen as reasonable. Screw Chuck Schumer and these progressives who have no interest in supporting a border and have more interest in supporting Ukraine. I didn't say we shouldn't support Ukraine, but the idea that Ukraine comes before the southern border is for many Americans a non-starter. And here you are stating it. And then you bring Zelensky here to tell you that's the way it should be. Mistake on messaging after mistake on messaging. The message to Chuck Schumer and to Chris Murphy is screw you. We're doing this and then we'll do that. But we're doing this. Well, why isn't Israel funding tied into that? I don't know. Because Republicans won the House and you can kiss off. We're taking care of the border. Then we'll take care of Ukraine. I think it's interesting that I, I, this is this is me saying it, and you can tell me whether you agree or disagree. Uh, I think from the Republicans, there's a little bit of a a turn on the Ukraine thing. They'll send the money. I, I think I think for some there's still a big litmus test there, and I think that's a that's a very very large mistake. Do this, we'll do that. Do this, and we'll do that. Which is, I think, a little different than it was, let's say, six months ago. And Democrats are still not willing to do this. 
As we discuss more and more about Border Week, which we are doing this week, presented by Americans for Prosperity, americansforprosperity.org, you will hear from people who deal with the policy side all the time, who are, are doing things in Texas and dealing with the legislative realities, and people will not come to the table. Something you and I see as so basic, it is a basic idea. Let's start with policy that actually works. What we have now doesn't. The ability to come into the country doesn't work legally. The ability to work in the country legally doesn't work. The actual physical structures and systems don't work. The technology piece is nowhere near there. We can't agree to get rid of trees. There are certain trees that grow at certain parts of the southern border. And if you got rid of the trees, it would be easier to get to people who are trying to sneak across. We can't agree to get rid of the tree. It's not like it's, it's it, without the tree, the whole ecosystem stops. But if you're worried about the ecosystem and not worried about the ecosystem of the nation, well, then you're weird. But the Democrats have told you they're just not there. They just don't care. They would rather scream draconian Republicans and Trump. They would rather engage that than actually doing something. I hope the Republicans stand firm, which is hilarious because they're Republicans. They don't do that. I hope, I hope they stand firm. I'm a believer in funding Ukraine because I'm a believer in pushing back Putin. You and I, as I said, may disagree on that. But even I recognize and understand, politics is real. You want that money, you gotta do something about the border. Why are you so opposed? Why are you so upset? Why are you so bothered? Why are you making it political? It is American lives on the line and you wanna make it about Trump. My God, Chuck Schumer, how awful are you? And the answer is, uh, he's, he's really awful. Meanwhile, Uh, The House is going to vote on whether or not to not only move uh, down the road of impeachment inquiry, but they're going to start talking about whether or not they're serious about impeachment. And I'm 50-50. You might see that in 2024. I got that story. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz. This is Tony Katz Today. Production for the Ford F-150 Lightning. That's the electric pickup. Cut in half. The demand isn't there. The truck itself, it's outstanding. I know this because I'm driving one. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. I have a deal with a, with a local Ford dealership, Andy Moore Ford, in Indianapolis. Great people. They sell everything. Right? And and uh, they sell the, the, the electric stuff. And I try it. I, so I did the Mach-E, which is the Mustang. I don't know why they called them. Calling it a Mustang was a mistake. The car itself is very cool. It's really well done. It's really well appointed. Uh, calling it a Mustang, I don't, I don't get. It was cool. The F-150 Lightning thing is unbelievable. It is incredibly comfortable. It is, it is a joy to drive. A joy And there's a market for electric. 
There just is no market for forced. And the market is smaller because of cost. And this can't be denied. As a matter of fact, some of the numbers that we saw in uh, the consumer price index, which shows that inflation hasn't gone anywhere. I'll get into that. I spoke with Dr. Matt Will, economist at the University of Indianapolis about this. Me, I'm Tony Katz. Hey, Tony Katz today. I don't know if I said hello. I forget sometimes. Um, there are the, um, the used car numbers are up, and there's a reason. And so the, the electric car makers have got to start providing deals. But they also have to deal with the reality that the market isn't there. It's not that it's a bad product, although some people may not be into the product. It's that on the pricing, it's not there. And so where the expectation levels were, that's, uh, that's gone down. I'm telling you, I drive the car. It's nuts. It's so good. Now, would I feel that way in a regular F-150? Maybe. Maybe. Right? So, yeah, so right now it is, it is the 1996 Ford Bronco next to the 2023 uh, Ford Lightning. It's a, it's a weird house that I've got at the, at, at the moment. Uh, the, one of the other big stories is, of course, that Jack Smith is trying to cut through the middleman. He's going right to the Supreme Court to find out whether or not Donald Trump gets to claim he's immune from federal prosecution. This is Trump's argument. This is the case that's in D.C., brought forth by the special counsel, Jack Smith, that U.S. District Judge Tanya Chutkin ruled that Trump cannot be shielded from criminal prosecution after his presidency for alleged actions that occurred while he was in the White House, right? So that's the reporting. Trump's saying, you can't come at me for what I did in the White House. Yeah, you, you have no jurisdiction over this. The judge said, yes, uh, the special counsel can. So Trump appealed it to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia. Jack Smith said, what are we doing here? Wasting time? Goes right to the Supreme Court and says, it's going to come to you anyway. Why are we wasting time? Trump just wants to delay. You decide. And the Supreme Court said, okay, we'll decide. Uh, President Trump, your team, you have until December 20th, 4 p.m., Get us all your information. Now, I have no idea how the court's going to rule. If, if I was a betting man, just, and, and by the way, this is not based on anything. It's not. Now, no inside knowledge. Nobody's saying here's how the court feels about these things. I would make the argument that the court would say, well, of course a prosecution can be brought. A trial can be, can be brought forward. I don't, I, I don't see how it can't be that way. Um, but that's what I think they're going to say. But I haven't seen what it is that the Trump team is going to put forward. I haven't seen how, how it's going to be responded to. I don't have anything yet as, as a precedent. So my gut says X, but I, I'm more than willing to wait for everything. I think it's interesting that, that Smith went right to SCOTUS. I think it's interesting. I'm actually glad SCOTUS said yes. I wonder if this bothers the Trump team. Like they wanted to utilize the appeals process as a way of maybe dragging things out because this trial is happening in march and love trump hate trump i don't care this is election interference from the word go of course it is and to say otherwise is nonsense hooey this is election interference all of these cases are we will see this is tony katz today 
I'm going to get into everything going on with Harvard, with MIT, with the University of Pennsylvania, and specifically with Harvard. The defending of Claudine Gay, the president of Harvard, this is brutal. Harvard has come out to to say quite clearly, we know she's a fraud on the academics, and we know that, that she's a DEI hire. We're cool with that. As a matter of fact, if you bother us about it, we will call you racist a second time. To uh, to uh, paraphrase the people there at Monty Python. You see that, uh, President Gay? That's how you cite a source. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. I feel good about that one. Can I get a little something? No? Yeah. Thank you, Producer Jason. Bless the good man. Blessings to you. By the way, where are you? Pl- you got to start telling me where you're playing. So, so Producer Jason uh, does a lot of uh, singing and guitar playing. He does a little cowboy thing. The ladies go nuts, <laughs> and and, he, and you like you play around the Indianapolis area. But people may want to have you in other spots. You got to let us know where you're playing. So on Fridays from now on, you got to have a list for me so I can read off where you're going to be over the weekend. That, that won't work this week because I'm playing Thursday and not the weekend. Well, then we'll do it Thursday this week. Just help a brother. I'm just trying to help you. I'm not going to be here Thursday, Tony. So I don't even know what's apart. happening it's anymore. Just, just send the damn schedule. <laughs> I'll be at Mashcraft and, Thursday night. How about that? There we go. No, you'll send it. You can't tell me. <laughs> Nobody knows what that is. Good Lord. Uh, I'll get to the to the uh, President Claudine Gay plagiarism stuff. This is stunning. It, it, the, the, the full display, it is obvious and clear as day. I, I have rarely seen in, in today's America every side of the political right and many pieces of the political left all in agreement of what the hell am I looking at? You can't actually be serious. And, and yes, they are. And if you want to know why DEI is hateful, why DEI is dangerous, if you want to know why DEI destroys minds, and DEI is not about making lives better, but about keeping other people down, this Harvard story is it. And we'll get into it. But the uh, Consumer Price Index came out today. The numbers came out today. And they do not show that inflation has gone anywhere. What they show is that inflation remains. It's here. It did not drop. It shows that when you take away food and energy, which they, you know, engage as volatile or they claim as volatile, and you get to core uh, consumer price index, it's 4%. The target rate, as Dr. Matt Will, economist at the University of Indianapolis, points out, is 2%. So you are 100 times, if you will, higher than the target rate of inflation. And I spoke to to Dr. Matt Will. I'll share you the full uh, interview in, in in a little bit. But one of the places that was really problematic was in vehicles. And especially when you take a look at the number in used vehicles, because this is about credit. So I'm looking at used cars and trucks up 1.6, just to give everybody an idea. From June, July, August, September, and October, it had gone down. 
It had gone down five months in a row, if you will. It showed a negative. The last time it was up was May. It was up 4.4. Now it's up uh, 1.6. But I also noticed that new vehicle sales are down 0.1. So used cars went up, but new vehicles went down. This is part of the credit crunch conversation? Yes, it's cre- that's exactly it. It's part of the credit crunch situation and also demand. If people aren't making as much money, and we know that wages are not keeping up with inflation. We know that to be a fact. The government keeps reporting it. If your wages are not keeping up with inflation and you need a car, you're going to buy a used car, not a new car. So the demand for used cars is telling us the household budget is not in as good a shape as it was. And also, you don't have, as, have to have as good a credit to buy a used car as you do a new car. Let me talk about where, where the household credit is for, for a moment. Stepping away from the report, this was the Wall Street Journal yesterday. The math for buying a home no longer works. And the chart is from CBRE, uh, Gina Heeb with the story, H-E-E-B, Gina Heeb with the story over there at, uh, at the Wall Street Journal. That an average monthly lease payment, right? You're, you're buying a, or you're renting a, an apartment, renting a house, is $2,184 a month. When in uh, the first quarter of 2021, it was seventeen hundred and eighty dollars. So you you've gone up nearly three to four hundred dollars in in making a payment on a on a, on a lease on, on a on a an apartment. If in the third quarter of 2021 or fourth quarter of 2021 you were paying two thousand dollars for a mortgage average payment, now you're paying thirty three hundred dollars. So this is, of course, the increase in interest rates that are, that are uh, affecting all of this. But this is massive to the idea of where people can spend their money and the, the, the very concept of house poor. You know, but it's more, it's, more, it's more than inflation. Let me give you another piece of data. You're right. Interest rates cause increase in monthly payments. But what about closing costs? Closing costs were up 22% year over year, 22%. That equates to $5,900 more year over year in closing costs. These are the fact that the banks have to make their money somewhere and they're not making money as we saw in the housing or the mortgage, the banking crisis earlier this year. So it's tough to buy a home when you're $6,000 more out of pocket to buy a home and you don't have it because your wages aren't keeping up with inflation. Now let's tie a bow on this. Give you two things here, Dr. Matt Will, economist at the University of Indianapolis. The first is this short clip from Secretary of the Treasury Janet Yellen saying that we're on a soft landing path. So do you, you've said you see a soft landing as the most likely outcome for the economy. Is that Do I have that right? Yes, in the sense that... Um To me, a soft landing is the economy continues to grow, the labor market remains strong, and inflation comes down. And I believe that's the path we're on. She believes we're on a path where the labor market remains strong, but the inflation comes down. That's going to be the soft landing. If you take a look at the CNBC Fed survey, they'll, they'll tell you that people believe that the soft landing probability is up to 47% up five points from October, and they think that the Fed will start cutting rates mid-year 2024. 
So I take a look at this consumer price index report. I say the inflation is still here, but the people on Wall Street and Secretary Yellen are all telling me that everything is super fine and dandy, Dr. Will, and that we are going to have the soft landing. As a matter of fact, Janet Yellen is going to get herself one of those nice, comfy down pillows and rest you there in the reeds like your Moses. Well, all I can say is she is much better at predicting the future than me, although her track record is terrible. We can go back and look at that. I don't think we have the time, but it is terrible. She has a terrible track record for forecasting the future. I don't predict the future, but I do know this. All those Wall Street people you just mentioned that are saying soft landing, if you dig into their details of their analysis, they say the labor market is getting in worse condition. That contradicts what she just said. So I don't think it's going to be – I don't know if it's going to be soft or hard, but I do know this. Her forecasting record is terrible. Talk to me about the idea of of the labor market. Uh, Why would there be a feeling that it's about to get worse? Well, because we saw this in the report that we, you and I analyzed just last week, that what we're seeing is that the job openings are decreasing. The unemployment rate is fluctuating because it has to do with participation rate. The great resignation is not being reversed yet. And that what we're starting to see is a slowdown in the economy, as we see in these numbers right now in the CPI for fuel. Slow down the economy, less people being hired, unemployment rate will go up. I heard in the same report you gave this morning that you played earlier this clip, same interview that the forecast is that we may hit over 4% unemployment sometime in the middle of next month or next year. Now, we have not paid much attention to unemployment rates. And the reason we haven't paid much attention to them is because they don't seem to be as much of an indicator as as things like producer price index and what we're warehousing, what we're actually manufacturing, whether that is up or down, uh, how people are seeing, uh, you know, the, 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 the future. They're being very, very wary. You're now telling me I should be paying attention to what that unemployment number is going to be? Yes, because we've seen a trend. We talked about this, I think it was on Thursday or Friday. There is now a trend that is coming. Well, it's not coming. It's here. The trend is moving in the wrong direction. The number of people unemployed is, is, you know, fluctuating. The number of people employed is not moving up as fast as it should be. The participation rate is not moving. We see this unemployment picture growing into next year. So if the labor force participation rate is not growing... You mean that more people are not getting into the workforce. They're saying, I may have lost my job. I might not be sure about my job, but that's just the way it is. And there are no other jobs to get. That's what you're arguing. There are no other jobs to get right now if you lose your job. No, no, there are plenty of jobs to get. There's 8.6 million openings at the moment. So I'm not sure where you're at. People are saying... No, but people are saying they don't want to go into the workforce. And we, that's a whole long discussion about daycare, um, quality of life, standard of living, accepting. I mean, there's a lot of reasons that go into that. But people aren't going back into the workforce. They've resigned during the great you know, COVID thing. They're just not coming back to work. That is a fact. So the unemployment rate going up has nothing to do with the fact that we have 8.7 million jobs that they could fill. There aren't more people going back into the workforce. They're fine with what they've got. They're going to wait this whole thing out. That's a, is, is, is that a conversation about the value of the dollar not being enough, that going back to work isn't worth it? Or is that a cultural conversation about why should I have to work at all? It's a cultural conversation. And we're going to get into that cultural conversation 
uh, in a little bit. My conversation with Dr. Matt Will, economist at the University of Indianapolis. I've got more of that later, plus more conversations regarding the border. Find everything at TonyCats.com. This is Tony Katz Today. small children as the great sage Doug Emhoff husband of Vice President Kamala Harris tells us the story of Hanukkah which as you know is a story of hiding and shame because after all what else could it possibly be in 2023 oh no no I can I couldn't make it up I couldn't make it up Rabbi Doug has spoken, and he has spoken for all the Jews. It's nuts. It's nutty what Doug Emhoff did. Let me let me take you through it. He he puts out on the on the Twitter X. Can I just say how many things start how many bad stories in America start? Well, he was on social media. Oh Lord. I mean, you might that has now replaced the well, uh, they took a naked picture of themselves. Oh Lord. It could never take nudes. Do not send nudes. It will never work out well. All you're doing is providing content for a website you can't find because it exists, to quote Letter Kenny on the dark web. Doug Emhoff puts out on Twitter X the story of Hanukkah, and it's a picture of him and Kamala Harris lighting a, a, a menorah. Which is so weird because she usually, when she's lighting candles, is celebrating Kwanzaa. The story of Hanukkah and the story of the Jewish people has always been one of hope and resistance and resilience, he says. In the Hanukkah story, the Jewish people were forced into hiding. No one thought they would survive or that the few drops of oil they had would last. But they survived and the oil kept burning. Now, look, I, I wasn't there. But we've been telling this story a good long time. And I'm here to tell you, that's not how it happened. Hanukkah is not a story of hiding. Hanukkah is a story of kicking a little ass and taking some names. Hanukkah, uh, the actual word uh, being dedication, talks about the rededication of the temple because the Jews were practicing their religion, hanging out, having a good time. The king was like, whatever. And then the king's son took over and said, oh, those Jews and they you know, shook their fist. Ooh, you know, I assume, I assume they look like Liz McGill over at University of Pennsylvania, former president there. And, and, and uh, then said, you can't do this. And uh, the Jews were like, all right, let's fight. And then, uh, you know, they, they, they uh, get attacked by the Greek Syrian 
Maccabean oppressors. They uh, fight back. That's known as the Maccabean result. Next thing you know, uh, you, you've won and you're rededicating the temple. And so they were going to light a, a, a menorah, right? But they didn't have much oil because there was a fight and somebody spilled it over. It happens, you know, in a fight. It's like when you're tussling and all of a sudden you broke grandma's vase. Uh, boom, that's what happened. There was no oil. There was a little bit left and they put it in and it didn't last for a day like it was supposed to. It lasted for eight days and they were able to get new oil because, you know, they went to the store. And so that's what happened. That's the story of Hanukkah. As told by Rabbi Tony, that's not a rabbi. That's the story of Hanukkah. Not what Doug Emhoff said, whatever he was talking about. He continues, during those eight days in hiding, they recited their prayers and continued their traditions. That's why Hanukkah means dedication. It was during those dark nights that the Maccabees dedicated themselves to maintaining hope and faith in the oil, each other, and their Judaism. In these dark times, I think of that story. In these dark times, I question where you got the story from, Doug. Because we were not in the same Hebrew school class. This is obvious. And I'm not saying there couldn't be different interpretations of the story. I am saying in no interpretation I have ever heard, ever, not claiming to be a scholar, no one has ever discussed the idea that Jews were in hiding. No one ever said Jews were in hiding, if only because they weren't in hiding. Doug Emhoff got so much heat for this tweet, he deleted it. He should have cited his sources. But it doesn't matter. You don't even have to cite him. He could still get a job at Harvard. This is the story of Dr. Claudine Gay and why it matters to you and your kids. That's coming up. This is Tony Katz today.